again, everyone. Welcome to another very, very special episode of Dead Men Talk. And I think that this show, the reason I did this show is to really delve into, we wind it right, right back. I was looking at my own work, what inspired me. And I think I could never walk away from this show at any point, having not brought this guy on because he is someone who very early on um, was was a guy who was a great source of inspiration to me. He has been along my writing journey as well. And I, I'm so glad to finally get the chance to welcome you on the show. David McCaffrey, how are you, sir? Thank you, Chris, for that lovely intro. I'm I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. You're okay. Not bad, thank you. Not bad, not bad. I was, I was thinking earlier on, do you know how long it's been since since we've kind of known each other along this, this veil and never actually spoken? Two, either 2016, 17, somewhere. 15. Um, 15, really? Eight, eight years. Very, very briefly, um, when I was starting out, before my first book was published, I was Britain's Next Bestseller. Um, With Muriel. The, yes. And yes. I might, we might have, our paths might have crossed because of that yeah. work back then. So, 15, um, wow. I, know, I didn't realise it was Eight long. years. Eight years it's taken us. It took me long enough to speak to Richard Eyre when I kicked this show off back <laughs> in 2020. So it's so good to have you here, mate. Um, Thank you for having me. It's, I can only apologise it's taken me this long. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so for anyone out there who, um, who who doesn't know who David is yet, um, he's a fantastic author. He's a publisher. He's got a radio show as well now as well. So he's, he's like ticking all the boxes. He's a, a, a guy who is a great inspiration to so many people. Is, is that kind of, you've not paid me to say that, but is that is that kind of, you know, boxing off that side of you, I know there's more to you. You do have, you know, day job and everything like that. But is that kind of your creative side? Um, th- those are my creative outlets. Uh, yeah, <laughs> whether yeah, um, whether I've inspired anyone, I don't know. But um, <laughs> I like to uh, I like to throw things at the wall and see what sticks when you have the opportunities. Because I would hate to uh, have ever gotten to the end of my days, whenever that is, and think, oh, shad, just had a go. Um, so uh, I consider myself ridiculously fortunate that I have and have had the opportunities that I've had, whether it be writing radio, mm. I play the piano, but not professionally, but I can play, which is always nice. So, wow. um, yeah, I just... Something else I didn't know about you there. So you're a man of a lot of surprises. Well, I took surprise. lessons from being five or six until I was 16, despised every single minute of having to practice every day yeah. for an hour. When I was 16, my mom said, if you don't want to play anymore, you can't. I was like, right, thank you. But I carried on playing for myself. I just stopped taking lessons where my younger brother never touched the piano again. So I'm glad oh, now that I can still play. You know what? Um, One of those instruments that I, as you can see behind me, I've only ever really... I always wanted to play the guitar, you see. There you go. So, okay, that's fine. <laughs> so. so this is was a very late thing for me. You know, I always wanted to do it when I was a kid. I was bought a guitar, didn't take any lessons. It ended up on my floor. Toy box fell on it, ruined it. That was it. Till I went to uni and I decided I'm going to do it for myself, a bit like you. Um, piano is one of those I've always wanted, imagined myself being able to play. But that and the violin, I kind of look at and I think, I don't know. I, I would sound horrible to begin with and that might be enough to put me off. So fair play. Yeah, I look at it the other way with guitars. I always think, oh, they're so cool. It's so cool when you see people playing the guitar. <laughs> anyway. It's how you play it and what you do with it, I suppose. But um, um you're, you know, obviously our paths crossed because of your writing. Um, we'll delve into sort of all the other bits that you've um, that you've done sort of before and since then as we go through. But, you know, your writing for me, when I was starting off um, trying to find my feet, I had a book. I didn't really know if it was any good. I didn't really know what to do with it. And I think I was looking around and, and talking to some of these writers and, and reading their books. Your book, Hellbound, when I got hold of that, I think, for me, it was such a great piece of work. And knowing that you had managed to take that step yourself and, and get that pub- published um, and, and even having the help of a certain, you know, well-known author um, that we'll touch on as well, because I think that's the most impressive yeah. thing in the world. You're a big fan as well. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that to me was the most inspirational thing is, is, is the quality of your work as a, you know, as, as your first book. So let's talk about how your writing journey started winding it back before you had a book um where did it come from your desire to 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 write um 
I've always seemed to have a creative bent for writing. Uh, going back to when I was a kid, I um I used to write continuations of you remember V, the original TV series. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I'm showing my age. So I would write <laughs> as much um, as I am, so you're right. <laughs> Um, I would write continuation stories after some of the episodes and like fill in the blanks. And I would write, um, I wrote my own follow-up to Disney's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow um, and things like that. I, I just, um, I got a typewriter and I used to sit there with my tip X and, you know, going over all my mistakes and stuff. So I always had an affinity for it. I don't know where it particularly came from. I can only assume it's because my parents were both avid readers, maybe, and I inherited that that love of literature. Um, and then I won a, com won a competition when I was, I'm going to say eight or nine, at a library for a, a short story about a witch who was afraid of heights and couldn't fly on a broomstick. And I won a massive set of felted pens. Oh, um, the start of something good. Absolutely. Um, and then, for some reason, it fell by the wayside for many, many decades until my eldest was born and uh long story short i uh, said to um vicky his mum, do you know what i'm just gonna go upstairs for a few hours because i had this idea that had been mulling around my head for weeks and weeks i don't know where it had come from i don't know why i felt compelled to write it down i wrote down a few of these pages came downstairs showed them to vicky if she'd have laughed i probably would have never done it again <laughs> but she read it and she was you know really supportive and um and then it could just kind of stem from there. Wow. And that's, um, and, and that's the book we know is Hellbound? Is that the one? Or was after this a the, no, this, the, the, after a fashion, there was only one element of that story that stayed consistent into Hellbound. Okay. Um, which it changed fundamentally the idea that I had when I spoke to a certain author that I know you mentioned earlier who didn't like my original idea um, right. and made, made no bones <laughs> about telling me. It's just me, the kind of, the kind of mentor you want, isn't it, really? Yeah, abs no, absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was that was where that my passion for writing came from. And awesome. I can only ever say it was my son, my oldest, was the inspiration because oh. I, I don't really have any other context for it because that's when that's it all cool. seemed to coalesce. That's, no, that's cool. I can relate to that because there's a story I've told loads of times when people have asked where I, where did, why, and when did I start writing. I started putting pen to paper properly when um, my wife Marie was pre pregnant. Right. Yeah. When she she found out she was pregnant, I wanted to write a diary. I, I needed. I got all these thoughts going on. I was like, I need to write them down. I need to write to them, even though they're not here. That lasted about a week until I started having other thoughts, and I was like, Yeah, I, I can't really put these down in the diary. I'm going to see what <laughs> transpires here. So. I mean, kids, absolutely, you know, in all in all forms and fashions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely so so, um, so let's, let's talk about, just tell us a little bit then about um, your debut novel. Um, you've obviously mm. told us a little bit about how, how certain parts of it came about. Tell us a little bit more about what Hellbound is about and the journey you went on then between, or, you know, writing it, getting it finished, getting it published, that part of the, you know, what did you go through to get it out there? Um, when I had written those first few pages, um, I, I carried on writing that particular story that I had in mind under my own, you know, under my own steam. Having read it back a few years ago, it was bad, so bad. Um, but at the time, you know, it's it's a start. Yeah. Um, and uh, I carried on doing that and hadn't really given it any thought how I was where I was going to go from there outside of I joined the writers bureau that I saw advertised in a magazine you may or may not be familiar with it but I it, it, it. Yeah. Um, they were really really instrumental in those first steps of understanding I know you and other authors appreciate this there's there's writing but there is a there's an art you have to learn to writing it's not just going there yeah. and telling your story yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's certain rules you're, they like you to adhere to and structures you're supposed to follow and mm. you know you can go into the whole man with a thousand faces joseph campbell you know yeah. narrative of how to structure story and all that stuff but um i got assigned uh, a tutor when i joined that called simon Megan, who wrote a book the title i can't remember of but it was made into a film with sean bean and oh, 
she was in ER. Oh, okay. Yeah, he didn't die in this one, oddly. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably oh, a rarity, actually. You want to find out what that one was. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, um, and he, uh, you just had to do little assignments, uh, and they would grade them on your grammar, your punctuation, your writing skill, your sentence structure, all of those things. Fairly straightforward things that I had learned, um, as we all do when we do English at school, but it was a nice kind of refresher. Yeah. So I finished that course and got a little certificate that I'd passed this writer's bureau course. <laughs> then you have aspirations of, well, that's it. Now I'm going to go on and be a best-selling author. And that's, that's life's yeah. Um, But then through reading uh, one of Steve Alton's latest books, I saw that he offered a writing coach program for one or two authors a year. Um, I applied for it and didn't get accepted that year that I applied for. But I thought, well, I'll do it the next time there's an opening and maybe eight and 10 months later, there was another opportunity. So I sent him an email um, and I sent him the gist of the story I'd been writing. And he sent me an email back saying, okay, I'm interested. We'll have a telephone conversation and see where it goes from there. Um, I was ridiculously nervous speaking to him. Um, and uh, we chatted over the phone. It was lovely. I got an email the following day <laughs> saying, um, yeah, basically your story is, is crap, David. Um, however, <laughs> he said, I'm just not impressed by it at all. Oh, however, nice. he said, there are these elements that I'm really intrigued by. Mm. If you would um, consider elaborating on them and perhaps taking them off in a different direction, I'd I'd be happy to take you on as a student. You seem really yeah. engaged and interested. And yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So um, obviously all that contractual stuff was sorted out. Um, and then the, <laughs> the, the very first instruction I got given was um, write me a beat sheet of your first chapter. I didn't know what right. a beat sheet was at the time. Never heard of one. Right. Didn't bother Googling to find out what one was because that would have just, you know, that would have been too easy. I thought, well, uh, that's crap. I don't need to do a beat sheet. He's asking for that. I'm just going to write the first chapter because okay. obviously he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's only written you know, six yeah. best-selling books by yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. I, a beat sheet, I can't. And because from being at school, I could never bear doing anything twice. I just yeah. used to write my assignments as they came into my head. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it. The people no. that researched and spent weeks, got far better marks than me. But I just used to sit with everything around me and read it all and go literally blur and write it all down and that was it. So I thought, oh yeah, but I don't need, I don't want to do it twice, I'll just do this. So I wrote this chapter, sent in it, and I, <laughs> and I got an email basically back that said, you didn't follow my instructions, that is not what I asked for. I asked for a beat sheet, you have written me a chapter, it's absolute garbage, you have no sense of uh, direction. The characters are completely vanilla. The name of your serial killer is absolutely crap. Blah, 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 blah. Um, um, and uh, I will beat you like a plowshare until you decide to follow my instructions. <laughs> okay. Um, he was like, write me a beat sheet for the first chapter. Yeah. So I was like, what, what's a beat what sheet? What is Send a beat sheet? Yeah, even I've got a beat sheet. That, so. um, it, it's... Everyone, you'll have your own way of plotting out your books. Mm. Everyone has their own way, whether it's post-it notes or mind maps or spider yeah. diagrams or whatever the hell it is. He taught me to make a beat sheet, which is you put four or five bullet points for each chapter of the key beats uh, okay. of that chapter. And then you end up with maybe five or six pages of your entire book with just the key scenes in bullet points. Uh, okay then you can look at it as a, an overall, you can move the bullet points about if something needs putting in a different scene, if that seems too slow, if there's too much going on there, mm. until you're happy. And then you kind of fill in the blanks chapter by chapter as you're writing it. Yeah. And you can deviate from the beat sheet um, because new ideas will come to you as you know, as you're writing, but ultimately you'll end up at the same destination you were always going to with the end of your book. That's Once cool. I got that concept around my head, that worked for me. Mm, um, okay. And I know everyone has their own way, but that was what he instilled in me about doing. Um, and once I started getting in that habit of it, it made perfect sense yeah. for me yeah. as to how that would work. Yeah. Um, but that was my first experience with trying to get 
There you go. Hellbound off the ground. So you learn, you learn from your mistakes there. You thought you knew better. Absolutely. I'm a big one of learning from my yeah. mistakes. And I, I the, my boss used to have a sign in an old job on the wall saying, they're, they're not mistakes, they're life lessons. And I used to say, well, in that case, I'm full of them. Yeah. <laughs> full of life yeah, lessons. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's how you got to look at it. Because, I mean, there's so, so some, you know, loads of people could have gone through that experience, be really, really downhearted and kind of said, you know what? maybe I'm not cut out for this or he could have turned around actually and said, you know, what? at the point he's like, your story's crap. He, I mean, he's, he, you know, he's a professional. He, he, he obviously wouldn't do that, mm -hmm. but he, he probably could have, you know, any amount of people could have walked away from it and said, you know, what? I ain't got time for this. Yeah. He had the time to invest in you and you, you know, he, he, he brought you round to his way of thinking and, um, and see the, the diamond that came out at the end almost. Um, so but not, I agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it was, um, it, I remember Vicky saying to me at the time, she was like, I'd have given up. Somebody sent me an email back like that. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not doing it again. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I refuse to fail. Yeah. I will do it a hundred times over until I get it right. Because I absolutely, in this respect, refuse to fail. Yeah. That was my mindset. Add a little bit of gravitas here to yeah, anyone who's watching this who, who isn't he didn't quite um up to speed on who we're talking about we're talking about steve alton who within what two days time has another summer blockbuster movie coming mm -hmm. out of one of his books in the meg too um you know just to add some credence to you know the advice you were getting is someone who 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 definitely does you know every writer's got their own style but he definitely all of the wisdom if you could bottle that you know, oh. maybe you have, you know, maybe you have, you know, has any, has any of the advice you've taken from that carried forward in what you've written since? Yes, so much of it, if not all of it. But aside from the beat sheet technical, technical aspect of it, one of the main things I always remember he told me right at the beginning was research, research, research. He said, you, you have to know what you're talking about, whatever it is, whether it's mm. fictional or factual or somewhere in between or a mixture of two. Mm. You have to do as much research as you can because the reader has to believe you know what you're talking about and they can smell the atmosphere of the prison. They mm. can uh, hear the sound of the water on the beach. They can hear someone's accent in their dialect when they talk. He said, you have to make it real. Yeah. And it always, always stuck in my head. That's fair enough. And, and the other thing was less is more, because I do have literary elephantitis. And he used to say, less is more, David. <laughs> I was, I was, I always equated to Mariah Carey. Why sing 12 notes when you can sing two? Yeah, that's a, that's a quality way of talking about. I think I, I, I know what you're talking about possibly there as well, because as a reader, I, I do gravitate to, um, to writers who, who do get to the point. This is why I've always preferred in the horror world James Herbert over Stephen King because yep. Yep. You know, no, James Herbert that. will write one paragraph with something that Stephen King would write two chapters on. Yeah, you know, it's it's more direct. It's more kind of that's how you would experience it if you were yep. in that setting, isn't it? So no, I yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, definitely. So so just um, before we move on from Hellman, this is obviously where you started because I love the book so much. Just give everyone a flavour. <laughs> What's the story about? Uh, the story is a about how would you teach a serial killer remorse? That was the ultimate idea behind it. Um, and the basic premise is that a world-renowned, in inverted commas, serial killer um, is uh, executed for his crimes. Uh, an investigative journalist who's been following, um, you know, his career, for want of a better word, yeah. um, is at his execution and uh, subsequently finds a few inconsistencies with the whole process of not only his execution, but events leading up to it. And he starts to uh, undercover, um, I don't want to say conspiracy, because that's used too frequently. He, mm. he, he un un uncovers the, um, the huge political furor that is not only the death penalty, but also how one would deliver justice for the loss of their loved ones mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity to impart it on the person that had taken their lives and i tried to make it a bit of a have moral aspects as to whether not whether you like or dislike the antagonist but whether ultimately 
it's still the same side of wrong, what someone's doing for their revenge mm. compared to what the serial killer was perpetrated. Um, but the ultimate premise was if you expose someone who's already got a dark heart to more darkness, you'll harden the results. So what happens if you expose them to the exact opposite light, love, hope, positivity? You won't change their personality fundamentally, but can you change some of their perspectives and things? It just, you know, if I've sold it to anyone on that, I mean, you know, I'd say it's, it's fantastic. It's always lived up. It's, it's one of those books, one of those few books, actually, that I have gone back and read again. You know, really? um, I'm not one it's when lovely. I know the story of something, I can't go back. But I did with this one. And then you did, you you uh, you added a couple of parts to it, um, I believe. I did. Well. I did. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was just my uh, my ego because Steve had made me cut them out. He didn't like them. Oh, I <laughs> when, see, it been, so... when it had been out long enough, I was like, no, I really like them. I really like them. It's my, my book. I'm going to put back in. Um, I mean, there weren't, there weren't massive things. And I, and I totally understood why he told me to cut them out at the time. But mm. I thought for, um, <laughs> you know, the, the one time I would uh, let my ego run rampant, I was like, no, why? I like those bits. I'm going to yeah. put them back in. Yes. And you, you release as separate sort of like um, add-ons, weren't they? I don't really know how to how to kind of... Yeah, they were just little em embellishments and more mm. context to things that, like you rightly say, aren't necessarily needed. Mm. But it was purely just because I liked them. <laughs> so yeah, why not? Well, you got that's not proud. necessarily the right perspective, you, but you I got, like them. So. You've got to be proud of your work, haven't you? So one of the interesting things I want to talk about as well is so your you know your day job um yes. forgive me I'm not going to get the your, what you actually do out in the right way um but we we saw I was actually quite um quite encouraged during COVID because you you went out and you um just to explain what you do firstly and that will add a little bit of context to what I was about uh, to say uh, I'm an infection control lead nurse uh and, and currently I work uh, in Hertfordshire for an organization I have since 2019, so <laughs> not too many months before the pandemic started. Yeah. Um, but I've worked in infection control for nearly 20 years, um, yeah. from a project nurse all the way up to, I was never ambitious. I accidentally fell into promotional roles. Right. Um, it, was, it was purely just circumstance. I was literally in the right place at the right time. Uh, I was just happy being a nurse and fundamentally I've always made certain I remember uh, I'm a nurse first and foremost. Sure. I just inadvertently happened to have a certain knowledge set that became globally relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's, it was it was when this whole thing was kicking off and, and none of us really knew what it was and I must admit one of the comforts to me at that time was when you used, you came out a few times with some videos um, of yourself talking about you know, from your perspective, and you, you have, knowing what you do, you had to respect that you knew what you were talking about. And it was actually, it was nicer to hear um, the things you were saying from within, I suppose, at the time. Um, I mean, just, you know, what was that? I don't want to dwell on it too much, but that period of time for you in terms of what was happening in the world and what you were having to experience in your day-to-day -day job, did that impact your creativity, good or bad, you know, during that period? What, how were you when you came out of it? That's a good question, actually. Um, it it did. Uh, it did and it didn't, which I know is a completely cliche answer. <laughs> it did, but it didn't. Um, it, to, before, uh, before I get to that, that in, in, innocuous answer, um, the, from, a, from a purely scientific perspective as a nurse, very few of us will live during a pandemic. Mm. So it was fascinating from a purely, purely um, contextual perspective that the last pandemic we'd had was 1918 when it was Spanish flu. And obviously there'd been, you know, the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone and, and obviously there's been things globally. But from, from a nursing perspective, to see how that kind of virological um, uh, circumstance can impact not only a population and society, but the world mm. was fascinating and how you have to change your way of thinking uh, in order to implement basic standard infection control precautions in clinical areas and in the community was, was challenging and also rewarding. Mm. 
the governmental, I'm not going to do with politics, the governmental response left a lot to be desired from the get-go as far as I was concerned. They yeah. focused on the wrong things, hand hygiene, which is ridiculously important. We all know that. But when it's a respiratory illness, they should have been focusing on masks, not hand hygiene. There was loads of things. Obviously, you could probably do a year's worth of podcasts trying to get to the nuances <laughs> well, of it. someone is. Um, so... Uh, there was loads of things that I tried with a few videos that I put out to try and to try and rationalize and make it a little bit more uh, palatable and uh, contextual into what was happening rather than the the spin that was being put out. Yeah. The one thing I did learn from the pandemic, which wasn't a positive, but and this is only my personal opinion, mm. and I'm generalizing terribly, it made people cruel in the sense that um you and i could have a conversation about religion for argument's sake Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't necessarily leave the conversation having changed our ideological perspectives but as a great man once said an intelligent man will take on someone else's uh, opinions even if he doesn't necessarily agree with them so we might both walk away and think that was a good point that actually and i never Mm -hmm. thought of it like that or I've never, I've never looked at it from that perspective. Hasn't changed your your views, but you've um, incorporated new information into your way of thinking that you are open to reading around a little bit more. Yeah. COVID, essentially, you were either a sheep, wrong or stupid, if you yeah. didn't agree with the other side. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was such a terrible, yeah, I... a, a, a terrible realization that society could be so polarized and there was no middle ground at all and you're still seeing that i'm still saying yeah. it you know we have conversations here and you see it in people's behaviors in certain places in society and certain you know activities that are going on um there's a real lack of of you know empathy and you know humanism and anything that anyone's doing and saying yeah you know a, a lack of common sense just just a lack of awareness just you know not where we were three years ago four years ago. no not at all and and it wasn't that um there are loads of aspects of it i i i don't only believe the covid coronavirus covid19 was real because i saw firsthand it wasn't a cold it wasn't the flu because i saw the patient die from it we lost family members from it i saw the the pressures it put under healthcare again the whole separate debate is why they built these hospitals and they were photographed empty and all those things that will never get to the bottom of it but in the acute and community settings i worked the pressures were ridiculous Mm. um i i i've never been anti-vaccine but i was dubious Mm. about the vaccine they were pushing not because they've never tried to develop a vaccine we're going off a completely different tangent i'm reading books Um, (laughs) They've um they've never been working they've always been working on a vaccine for coronaviruses and the common cold since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Um and then all of a sudden they got billions of dollars thrown at them by Big Pharma. And of course there was people wanting to make money. That's always been the case. Again, those yeah. are all separate issues. But um I was dubious uh and would never uh, vaccine should be a personal choice. I I waited as long as I could in my nursing career to get it because I had to, because it wasn't a hill I was going to die on when I've got a family to support. Sure, yeah. It, it, it's all, and I was never one that stood there and said, I refuse to take it. Cause I know so many people who made that stance public. And then it's, how do you get offshore on the chopper if you're not wearing exactly. a mask? It's yeah. like, well, I'll lose my job otherwise. Hypocrite, much. <laughs> Quiet. Just, yeah. just, just don't make such a public stance and then no one will challenge it for you. Yeah. So I didn't make a public stance. I said I was dubious, mm. but you know, I had to do it and it wasn't a hill I was going to die on. No. Um, when it and put my family in jeopardy, no, exactly. I would you know support. Yeah. But um, creatively, it had two aspects. One, when I was writing the warmest place to hide, two years before, I mentioned a global pandemic and coronavirus in it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, not that I'm claiming to be any sort of prescient, you know, uh, seer of uh, uh, or sage of the future. It was Dean, just Dean having Co- Dean Koontz has already claimed that one with Isaac. Yeah, Kennedy, he did. So. He did it before me. Yeah, yeah. No, he. Uh, he he got me on that one but um having read 
um, having read around the material that I was researching the book, um, mm. it was one of the topics that came up and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I never gave it any thought until yeah. it happened. I was like, ooh. Um, but it did also mean that I couldn't write as much and I kind of lost my passion for it because my I was needed in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, and as much as I love writing, and this is no disrespect to people who make a living from writing books and stuff, mm. this is only again me. And the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that important compared to what I was what I was needed to do. Yeah. Um, my books weren't going to save anyone's life. No. The no, work I... that I did is not, I can't measure if it did even make an impact in the slightest, but at the time it was necessary, required, and it's what I had to do. It's, yeah. It was my job. And you know, it's refreshing to hear that because I went through a very similar thing. Not that I was, I wasn't working on, on the front line like yourself, but I was kind of having people during that time sort of say to me, well, "As a horror writer, surely you've got loads of material from this, and you've got loads of time to do it." Because obviously, you're not at work either; you're just sat at home. And I was like, "Well, no, on both counts, I was busy writing. I'd, I'd pretty much got enough to call a novel right up to that point." Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately it was about a guy who killed people when he touched them and it rang a little too close to home when that hit yeah. so I put it to one side and I was like you know what this has just killed any creativity I had I couldn't concentrate on yeah. anything I wasn't inspired by anything again it seemed a little a little pointless um, you know to, to, to spend hours doing that when there's other things that I needed to do yeah um yeah. warmest place to hide was actually surprisingly enough where i was going <laughs> with this because i kind of thought you know from what you do um in your profession during that time i wasn't aware then actually that it I probably got my, my time my timelines mixed up a little bit i didn't realize that you you did you already started writing it before covid or did you I'd, release it no i'd time? written it i'd written it um I'm going to say three years before COVID. Right. Um, purely for two reasons. One, I had um, done my three serial killer books. Uh, yeah. I'd ghostwritten the book with Stephen about crime in Newcastle. And I had this idea that I'd always had been like fermenting in the back of my head. And I thought, oh, I want to, I want to write something different. And mm. I want to do my little homage to John Cartman and David Cronenberg. Yeah. You know, the thing's one of my all time favorite films. Um, which the title came from the tagline from the video cover that I remember being a kid. Um, and, you know, I've always, uh, you know, the David Cronenberg body horror type stuff, the yeah. fly, video drum, I, I always kind of resonated with that. Yeah. Good, bad or indifferent. Um, <laughs> and I thought, right, yeah, I want to write this book. Um, and it, all of my books outside of the nursery ones, <laughs> not that this is revelatory and anyone's going to go, ooh, that's fantastic. Um <laughs> But they're all set in the same universe, even by any means necessary, even only with a throwaway line, but they literally all exist in the same world. Oh, okay. Because when I started writing Hellbound pre, you know, the Marvel universe, and it's in no way as intricate or <laughs> anything <laughs> like that, but I thought, I want all my books to exist in the same world. So uh, they don't necessarily take place at the same time, but by any means necessary, has a mention while he's in prison about in America, there's a serial killer that's causing havoc and blah, blah, blah. And he keeps a tattoo to reference Hellbound. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the warmest place to hide has references to the organization that's in Hellbound uh, and a throwaway reference to one character. I never wanted them to, you don't have to read any of the others to understand it, but they all mm. exist in the same world. Yeah. Um, even one that uh, is my current book that I've finally nearly finished. So um, I always had that in, in my mind, but um, uh, <laughs> I decided I was going to release it as a book and then I kept putting it off and putting it off. And then I thought I was reading The Green Mile again and I thought, mm. oh, do you know what? I'll just release it in parts. And then I released the first three parts and I thought, I went through a moment and thought, nobody gives a shit. I'm sorry, can I say that? No, yeah, go ahead. It's fine. Um, I thought nobody... Uh, Nobody gives a shit about this. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put the rest out because literally, I went through like a whole crisis of confidence and imposter syndrome, and I thought I'm wasting my time. So I never released the bits because I thought nobody wants to read it anyway. Oh, so, I so I kind of I threw all my toys <laughs> out the pram. <laughs> That's again interesting. That's my, <laughs> that was my plan with with the one I was writing at the time. I was so eager to get it out there, 
I was like, it's not a full novel. I don't know how I'm going to end it. But actually, it, it feels pretty good. It's at an ending now. I'm going to release it as six parts, not a trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> I, got first, go. I, got, I got the first one out there. And again, I decided no one's reading this. I'll pull it. I can't finish it at the minute. Um, that's such a shame. That's no, such and a it's, it's, it's purely, um, it was purely selfish to myself. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm crap at this. I don't know why I'm wasting my time. Not, <laughs> I, I realised very soon on that all my dreams of, you know, being the next Andy Weir because Ridley Scott will buy my book on Kindle. We're probably, you know, <laughs> I've got more chance of winning the lottery. But we do have those aspirations. You never know. You know, A.L. James was, you know, writing Twilight fan fiction that That's became, exactly. you know, books about uh, painting. Um <laughs> I used to tell my son, he used to be like, 50 Shades of Grey, what's that about? I was like, it's about a decorator who can't decide what colour to use. And for years, he believed me until he went to school as a teenager. Oh, he was like, say you lied day. to me. It's about sex. You made me believe. I was talking about it being about decorating and the girls at school were like, what? What you want about, Jake? He's like, my dad told me. How would they know? Anyway. How would they know? Um, but um, yeah, so uh, they're still sat there. I might I. I was going to ask, have you got the, have you got any plans to, you know, to, to put them out there? Putting them on the spot now. <laughs> Maybe. I can, well, I kind of, um, I, I hurt my, I hurt my own confidence <laughs> <laughs> by reacting the way I did um, and thinking, oh, I, I'm crap. I don't know why I write this. This is absolute garbage. <laughs> um so I've never been able to get my head back in the space of reading it and think, you know, yeah. sometimes you can read what you've written and you'll have the you'll have the odd moment where you read back something you've written and you're like, it's quite good, though. That's that's not bad, though. I like yeah. that. I wrote that. That's quite good. Um, I've fleeting, never got back into the place. Moments. Oh, mine's fleeting as well. But <laughs> I've never got back into the mindset of looking at the other parts and thinking, it's all right, though. I still look yeah. and think, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, one that's... day, you never know. I'm kind of trying to be doing that with uh, with gods and insects, and it's, I mean, the fact it's the biggest book I've ever written as well, and I, I kind of it's just finding the time and the inclination to re read something that I've yeah. written again, and I, you know, I uh, brings me on to my next point actually. Things amongst all of this, um, you 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 took on the role of being a publisher as well. Um, I did with Kelly, yeah. Yeah, with with Britain's Next Bestseller, which was almost like full circle. It must have felt like full circle for yourself. It 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 was. Um, I mean, we've we've. This isn't a scoop that anyone again no, would no, be no. interested in, but we we made the decision probably towards the end of last year, but only started really implementing it this year. That you know, we we Muriel asked uh, us in mid 2016 she'd been trying to sell the company um and uh she'd had loads of interest but they didn't want to take any of the existing authors they just wanted uh, the, the the name the brand as such sure. um and she didn't want to do that to them so she rang uh kelly and i and said um do you want to buy it and we were like uh i know nothing about publishing the nurses mm -hmm. uh um and she said, because I know you've always been supportive of the other authors and you'll look after them and as best you can. And and, it, and when I spoke to Kelly, she went, you have to do it because if you say no, you'll kick yourself for the rest of your life, yeah. whether it works or not. Yeah. Um, so I said, oh, okay. Um, and then uh, towards the end of 2016, all the you know legal stuff that you have to do was sorted yeah. out. And then as it happened... <laughs> Stephen Sayers' book printer publisher fell through. So it was, we need this book out in like three weeks. And we were like, oh my God, like Kelly knew, and I knew nothing about publishing. No. And I will be honest, in my my own ignorance, I just I just thought you send off your Word document and then <laughs> that's it, someone makes it into a book. Some machine I, formats it. Yeah. yeah exactly. In the back of my head, I knew it couldn't be that straightforward, but the front part of my brain was like, oh, it's that straightforward. You just send off a word document. And then, uh, and someone's saying, well, you, you know, you need to format it for an ebook. I'm like, what? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't it just do that? And they're like, no. And if it's got pictures in it, it, you have to do it differently. And do you know what your widows and orphans are in your text? And I was like, what? What's an orphan? 
I know what an orphan is, but what's an orphan in writing? And uh, do you want it hyphenated? I was like, I know what a hyphen is, but what do you mean? Do I want it hyphenated? And all these things. And I was like, what? Yeah. Um, so Kelly went off and did all these courses about Adobe um, InDesign and all of these things. And right. she did proofreading courses. And I didn't realize there was that much to it. Um, the whole experience uh, was wonderful. We could never quite make it work. And I think that is partly down to, and again, this is just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't build the business up. We inherited it. Yeah. So uh, Kelly and I have always felt that we could never quite make it. It never made a loss, mm. but it never made you at the end of the day, we wanted to make authors money mm. first and foremost to, to show some modicum that, their their books have been a success because my books have never been su successful in the grand scheme of things yeah. um but you so want that for someone else's dreams you so want it more than anything in the world that was all we wanted um and inadvertently if you manage to make a bit of money yourself that's great but that was never the point um because we were still nurses but um i think because we didn't learn about the whole business from the ground up we never quite understood the nuances of how it's all supposed to work mm. about marketing, advertising, all of those things. And also, um, oh, the pandemic. Yeah. You couldn't devote the time that you wanted to. Um, and again, this representative of the quality of the work or the efforts people put in or their desires or their dreams that are fundamentally beyond important, that they're, they're, they're mm. so they're so necessary in the world we live in even more now than ever mm. but because our both as nurses in different respects we were being pulled in different directions which we obviously was our first calling yeah. um we tried to do both at the same time and you just can't and you're yeah. just letting people down and one of my biggest biggest fears is letting people down i can't bear it it's one of the things that always comes up in my counseling sessions <laughs> about yeah. fear of disappointing other people it, it like weighs on my soul yeah. and i refused to accept it for so long i thought no we can do this we can do both we can do both and then you like pull your head out your ass david you can't yeah. you're letting all these people down and these are their dreams and you have the best intentions yeah but we know the road to hell is paved with good yeah, intentions yeah and you have to pull your big boy pants up and say, it's not working. We will give you back your rights because we we tried, we loved it. Mm. We've still kept the company. We haven't got rid of it. We've just scaled it right, right down. Yeah. Um, and one day we might go back to it. I don't know. But um, it, it was a wonderful experience. And we got to meet so many talented people that not only inspire you for other writing projects, mm. but all of these authors that like me struggled to get the mainstream yeah. uh, interest at the time. Mm -hmm. And if you've paid a tiny, tiny part, even if they're with you and then they go elsewhere mm -hmm. in their first journey into their writing career, that was wonderful. Yeah, That was wonderful. We're good, bad or indifferent. It was just wonderful. Um, so overall it was a, it was an invaluable experience that I I'll always the, treasure. That most mature thing, I think. You, you guys did there really you know from from what i've heard is you you gave it up but you admitted when you had reached the point that you know yourselves were being sucked into it and you you know you knew your limitations what i'll say though is really thank you for my time <laughs> with britain's next bestseller because these two here my my these two books have, have gone through so many different um variations you know they've been with with a, with a few yeah. different company a few different publishers i've done them myself these are probably the two i'm most proud of physically to hold because they are amazing you know oh that's nice to it, know. The, kelly, the kelly spent a long time on those covers yeah the, the quality of the i mean these are my favorite amongst everything that i you know oh thank you the, the content the books maybe the stories maybe you know i i kind of cringe a little bit when i look back on them but not at being, all. Able, not being at all. able to say to people you know I wrote this and look at it. It's beautiful. You know, so thank you for, for what oh, you guys did no, for thank those. you. That is, um, that is lovely. No, no. And I, uh, thank you. I, I, it was, it was fantastic for me when I got that opportunity. Cause again, when I said it was like a full circle for you, it was for me as well, because 
where I started, yeah. Acolyte was out there. It didn't get it, it. It it wasn't successful in the the initial kind of you know publishing campaign as it was back then. Uh, but that was the first place I started. You were one of the first guys that I um, that I engaged with and and you know supported and, and inspired me. And then we were able to work together finally. It's almost serendipitous, isn't it? It was, wasn't it? Really? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, by that point, I had almost given up the fact that these books were gonna do anything you know and amount to anything and i think what you guys did is you gave it a new lease of life which made me believe in them more again so, at the end of the day if that's that if if we had any part to play in that then that's that's and, reward enough so absolutely there you go so i wanted I, I wanted to let you guys know that you know it's oh, thank you. even though yeah, you, thank you know you. it's it kind of you 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 felt like in the end you you weren't able to do enough you know the well-being like it was didn't help but you you really did and if that's just me all the other guys that were with you i'm sure have felt the same well, so thank you i hope so but i i will just quickly say as well i um I, you might know of spellbound books spellbound publications samaria wilson and a partner yes. you might have seen them on social media yeah they um i sent them a voice message uh, a few weeks ago because they're i think their company's two years old now I'm going to say, um, and they've both had their own personal uh, life challenges a lot along the way. Um, mm. And they started this during the pandemic as well, as so many businesses did start. Um, and uh, th they've managed to do what Kelly and I could never quite achieve. And that could be for that. It's multifactorial. It could be for a number of reasons, not only the ones I mentioned, but also um, uh, the, the, the market that they're trying to aim for and the kind of books they're looking for and the the, the very strong female uh, empowerment books that they, not exclusively, but mm. the, there's obviously, there'll be a lot of different reasons, but I left her a voice message saying, I think what you did is amazing. Kelly and I could not get it to work and seeing someone else achieve that success yeah. is fantastic. And I sent her a message saying, I applaud you both because it's just wonderful to see. Yeah. Um, because I don't think we do as a society enough. Pre people get professionally jealous and it's like, yeah. we should be proud of, just because we failed at something, yeah. we should still applaud someone that found that thing yeah. that made it work that you couldn't. Exactly. Um, because surely that that's a wonderful thing. Exactly. You know, exactly. It could like, okay, um, yeah, they tried that. Maybe I'll try that, you know, and it's, you know. And, uh, yeah. and we got to meet some wonderful people and authors yeah. like yourself. Um, uh, so that, you know that is invaluable yeah. in itself. Well, I'm, it would be very, very rude of me to to not afford a bit of time now to circle back to your work. Um, <laughs> with, with, you know, since, since it's you that's on here, you know, I, I, there, there is there is there is one project you've got coming up. You did give it a little bit of a mention. Um, let's talk about your your latest book. Tell us what you can one. about it. Yeah. Um, I was given the idea. Uh, actually, no, go back a bit. After I'd written The Warmest Place to Hide and I went through my <laughs> phase yeah. creatively um, and I did Do No Harm, which was um, a purely, you know, factually based book on uh, experiences in the NHS, not predominantly mine other people's. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to write, again, something different. Um, and I, uh, I love action books, action thrillers. Mark Dawson... Lee Childs, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. There's so many of them now. Um, and I have always said, I can't do better than other people have written in a genre, but I can maybe do different, which is why I wrote Hellbound. I thought there's loads of serial killer books far better than mine, but I'll try and make mine a bit different to the usual fare. Yeah. And that's probably played a part to why it's so difficult to market. However, <laughs> um, I'm still you know, very proud of what it did. And I had the same idea for one. I thought um, I, I want it to be in that same kind of ilk, but not a carbon copy of mysterious past comes back to haunt them, the reformer, secret service agent or whatever, yeah. blah, 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 blah. That's not to criticise the ones that do it, but I just didn't want to be, this is the next Lee Childs. I no. put in a post of the day, I want to be the first me. I don't want to be, if you like these books, read this. I want it to be, We'll just read this because just read this <laughs> exactly. How um, are you supposed to stand out when, it, like you said, it's you know flooded with um, all the same kind of stuff? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but the story, the, the actual story, came from Jake. He said to me uh, one one day, he said, "Do you know what would really be a good idea for a story, Dad? Um, if someone said, 
I poisoned a bottle of water uh, in London to find it. And I was like, huh. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure that's, that's probably brilliant. been done in, in a TV show somewhere, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But I thought, irrespective. I like that simple, idea. Simple, and he right? said, oh, and if, if, and I won't say it because it is a kind, I wouldn't say a twist in the story, but it's a, it's a reveal. And he yeah. said, oh, wouldn't it be great if the bad guy was called blah, blah. And I went, that's a really good name, actually, Jake. Okay. I like that. And I wrote down what he said. Um, and he it's said, got, you it's going to be after royalties, you know that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, oh, more pocket money. Uh, yeah. And he said, oh, it'd be really good if you just called it one because there's one bottle and there's one character that you think the book's about, but then it's actually about another character who's the one. And I was like, yeah, I like that. And that's where it came from. <laughs> that's fantastic. So if you've got you've got another generation there just waiting to are they showing signs of uh, uh, to follow your footsteps? Jake loves reading now. He never touched a book growing up and despite my best efforts, but right. he he love he does love reading now and he's read my books, which was lovely, but he's oh. he's gone way beyond that and read uh you know Steinbeck and he's read The Manchurian Candidate oh, and wow. he's read okay. Um, East of Eden and uh, Catcher in the Rye. He's gone like wow. way yeah. off to all the you know the classics, <laughs> um, so which is amazing. Uh, Liam likes books, kind of, and Cole, who's only four, mm. pref would probably prefer to rip them and burn them if he's <laughs> the um, because he's a learning man. at that age. You know, yeah. he's yeah. like if he'd have been born first, he'd be an only child. I'll say that, but um, <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah. Again, I'd I'd written so much of it, and then because of the pandemic and everything, it kind of fell on the back burner. Mm -hmm. But I finally finished it, and I'm just faffing. You know what it's like when you want to edit, and you get yeah. comments back, and and then you get to the point where if I change it anymore, it'll just end up completely different than what yeah. it was intended to. Yeah. So you have to leave it be. But um, I and and it's another. It's set in the same universe as Hellbound and things, but. Uh, only tentatively, but people who might have read the others, like the five people who might have read the others, um, might recognise some elements of it. And it's a, a, a firebrand series. So in between every main title, I'm going to do, I got this idea from Hollyoaks, a firebrand after dark, where it'll take a character that was touched upon and focus on them, but it'll be a lot more graphic and violent and oh, gritty, okay. as opposed to the more savory ones sure. um and it was it was the hollyoaks thing kelly went you know hollyoaks after dark you could just do that with your books and i was like well <laughs> less cool. hollyoaks obviously less drama of hollyoaks cool. but that was the idea so i love that kind of thing like the, in a in a, a different kind of way i suppose a necessary end for me was like that and how to courtney and that it was like i've got all these ideas yeah. and little stories i need to put them together so i'm going to tell a story around the back of it that kind of just wraps around it it's all yeah. relevant to that story and you never really know where you're going to go next. I love stuff like that. So you really feel like you've you've achieved something quite special, don't you? In your own little career, I think so. Yeah, I felt just really lazy. I was like, well, I'm writing something to tie them together, but in the end, it worked. You know, I was, it, it took me two books and a complete rewrite to find. I it. would never, I would never agree that anything that you've ever written is lazy. But I will say that the ending of one of my books, I won't say which one it is, but um. <laughs> I've always said to people, if they ask me, yeah, I wrote myself into a corner in the ending ship because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't work out how to get yeah. myself out of it. And it's it's the equivalent, not yeah. quite as bad, but it's the equivalent of Bobby in the shower in Dallas. When I read yeah. it now, I'm like, okay. that's naff. It's a convenient but ending. I realised that I couldn't I couldn't get out of it once I got to the end yeah. of the book. Um, but anyway, you know, it, it is what it is. But um, And then I have drafted two other books one is another uh, hellbound anthology book called the menagerie okay. um and then i've drafted a book um i actually i've drafted two of the books or beach sheets one of them is i haven't settled on the title yet but it, it's a very it's a it's it's a book based on if um a, a man was the victim of a sexual assault but couldn't remember it and then was accused of rape and it came about because there was a lot of um stories that that, that flurried around the media last year and and kelly and i had a lot of really deep conversations about it um and about injustices against women and why women are persecuted by and why women don't announce these things but also on the back of it 
that um, I thought, what if the roles were reversed? Mm -hmm. How how would society treat a man who's been accused of this crime, who is actually the victim, but because he's been drugged, he has no recollection of it, but all the physical evidence points to the fact he did X, Y, and Z. Right. When it was actually the other way around, he was drugged and they filmed him and took advantage of doing things to him that he has mm -hmm. no idea of. And I thought that would be a really dark dive into the way sadly there are some elements of society that work um and then i've also drafted another book that's called the girl with the polka dot dress that is about the infamous woman who was believed or not believed to be involved in the assassination of robert kennedy uh -huh. okay like wow. a dramatization of her life as it might have been obviously it's fictional up to the point yeah. of what we know was Again, true i yeah i've something i've always wanted to try and do is something that is because i've just got reading um cj samson's shard lake series yes where he's yes. based them around actual historical things but you know his part of it's completely fictional but yeah. it's being influenced by actual events and i've, I've always wanted to try and do that but um, yeah so that was wow so you've been busy busy really in the background we don't see a lot of this coming up it, this is all happening in the background i'm, I'm not so. very good I'm, I'm not very good at selling myself i'm crap on social media you're a writer none of us i are. I, I, <laughs> I i just i've done every course that mark dawson's ever i think mark dawson's courses are amazing i've mm. done them all i know they work never been able to get them work for me because i'm missing yeah. something there's something yeah. that's not clicking in my head but i carry on trying but irrespective i'm i do not like selling myself at all and i'll do it occasionally and think oh i'm gonna do it oh yeah, yeah. this is the best book you've never read and then i'm like no nah, that's that shit, shit. <laughs> so why would anyone want to read this so i just don't bother um and if people find it inadvertently and love it that's yeah. great if they find one of my books and hate it i'm like but i wrote that and you hate it <laughs> and that's fantastic because i wrote Either it or, exactly. um yeah exactly um but I hate, you know, and, and I'm not a big fan of social media, right? But I accept yeah. its benefits and for certain things, if you're self-employed, for want of a better word, yeah. or creative, you need to utilise it because that's where most of the world spends its time, right? You're wrong. Um, but I'm not very good at it. So many people do. And this goes back to how do you make yourself stand out? This is this is exactly the problem I've had in the past. The marketing side, I've just not got the energy for because I'm like, how am I going to make myself heard when yeah. there's thousands of others doing the same thing you know all comes down to you almost need someone to help you through that don't you who's got the flair yeah or not selling yourself but someone selling you i think someone from the outside probably is able to do that a lot better um, i've never found i've worked with a few people but and, and this is no slight on them because they've been successful with other people but i've never i've never been able to find that relationship that works mm. for me um and uh, I've never had overly positive experiences, no. um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I will start to wind it down. Unfortunately, no worries. I could be all night, really. Um, no, it's right. it's, one one question I, guess... I do like to throw at at writers when I get the chance to speak to them. Um, I probably I probably already know where you're going with this. Really, what do you prefer, being a pantser or a planner? Not what are you? What what do you prefer? Because it might be different. I like, I I wish, and like to believe in my own little David brain that I'm a planner, but I'm absolutely not. And mm -hmm. everything in my everyday existence points to the contrary, including Kelly, who always says <laughs> it takes a village to raise a David. <laughs> Kelly even has Kelly has WhatsApp groups with Jake's mom that I'm not included in because they're like, yeah, we know what you're like. We'll just sort the plans out. And we'll just tell you where to go, David. Wow. Um, so I like to think I'm a planner, but I'm not. No. No. I'm not. No. I'm more a seat of the pants thing. Yeah, I, I, that's totally with me as well. I've never planned any of mine. And then when I look back on them, I kind of think that would have benefited from being planned yeah. out a little bit. But that's just yeah. not the way. I just, I, I feel like you said earlier on, you'd rather, you don't want to do something twice i don't want to sit down plan it and then write it i just want to see what comes out yeah um, my beat sheets are as organized as i've ever been and even then i'll throw it out the window and, and i'll get stuck <laughs> writer's block and kelly's like yeah. why didn't you follow your beat sheet that was the point i'm like i know but i thought i could do something <laughs> special yeah. you've been there before though you should that's true back to the last time that you uh you thought you'd be that better. anyway there we go that is true 
David, this has been amazing. It's been fantastic to Thank finally you. get to talk to you properly. And have <laughs> it's you been on. an honour. Thank you, Chris. Oh, man, anytime, mate. Anytime. Where can people find you and your books? Lastly, you know, we've been selling you for an hour now. Um, uh, for anyone who uh, has difficulty sleeping and has run out of good reading material, you can find my books on Amazon, as 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 always, and all those online stores. You won't find them in your bookstores because you know <laughs> they're not <that> popular. <laughs> But um, do yeah, people actually use bookstores anymore? I don't know. Second hand bookstores. I do still like physical books. Okay. Um, and uh, my website, which is uh, davidmccaffrey.co.uk, you can download free samples and get them on there too. Cool, brilliant stuff. Get out there, peeps, and uh, you won't be disappointed. Trust me, uh, David. Thank you again, mate. Hopefully, we can uh, chat again sometime with or without the camera. Definitely. So look uh, forward to it. All right, mate. Take it easy. Thanks a lot. See you later. Yeah.